This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 23, Comic Reviews for the week of October the 31st. Welcome to the show. This is episode 23 of Comic Shenanigans. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. I'm a reviewer for CXPulp.com as well as CGMagazine.ca. Uh, this week we're looking at, as I said, about uh, comics that were released October the 31st. Um, and it's actually a pretty short, uh, small week in terms of the actual comics released by the big two. Um, basically, this was the fifth week, uh, which means we have five Wednesdays instead of four, so shipping is a little bit odd. Um, you have a little bit less coming out at the end of the at the month. So uh, I think this month, sorry, this week uh, from the big two, there was less than twenty comics. Uh, got to almost all of them, but not quite. So I do apologize in advance. Uh, obviously, as always, we have a spoiler warning in effect because I am going to spoil the crap out of some of these. Um, kind of an interesting week. There's a bunch of uh, a few comics that really didn't do it for me that I just felt very indifferent on. But there's also some that I felt extremely strongly about and uh, were actually really good. And some of them, some of the ones that were actually very entertaining, were actually some of the more surprising ones to me. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. We've got uh, A plus X number one. Um, so obviously this is, it's interesting. I thought, like, obviously this is basically like a Marvel team-up kind of style, but it's got, you know, an X-related character and Avengers-related character getting together and teaming up. Uh, it's kind of an interesting book in the way it's uh, marketed. Um, obviously it's coming off of ABX. The first page, which is the, the kind of the intro slash recap page, is really kind of what sets the tone for it. And I hadn't really thought of it having this tone and what i mean by that is that it's got this opening page which is if you read avx versus is extremely reminiscent of that it's it's got the same kind of tongue-in-cheek style kind of explaining what it is very quickly setting it up and then we've got two stories i didn't actually really originally realize that we'd have two separate stories of these team-ups so the first one is captain american cable calling this a aver aver yeah sorry a plus X in this case is a little bit of a misnomer because the Captain America and Bucky who are featured in the story are actually 1940 versions of them teaming up with Cable. Uh, kind of an odd choice. Uh, Dan Slott does the writing. It's kind of a, it's a weird tone for the for the story, but it's not bad. Uh, pencils by Ron Garney, some of the best I've seen from him in a while. There's a lot of inkers on it though. They got Danny Mickey, Cam Smith, and Mark Morales all inking the book. So uh, for so not even the book, there's like eight or, eight or ten pages of story. So it's kind of crazy that there's that much uh, work being done to uh, ink the work. Uh, the Incredible Hulk and Wolverine team up for the second story here. Um, and again, Hulk being an Avengers-related character, I mean, yes, he's a founder, but he really hasn't really been on the, the cast until, like, now, basically, or basically AVX, and now he's going to be an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it kind of, it kind of feels like an odd issue, because you got Cable, who's not, he was definitely an X-related character, but the Cable that we have here, we don't even know where he comes from, what time frame he's coming from, like, it's, it's kind of, it's just a strange book, to be honest. Um, but the Incredible Hulk and Wolverine story is written by Jeff Loeb with pencils by Dale Keown, who I have not seen do anything in like forever, uh, in his gorgeous work. Uh, so the first story, Cap America, um, and there's a Trask in the past who's building these Sentinels, these Nazi Sentinels, which is really kind of funny and weird, but I kind of liked it. And then Cable shows up and he's trying to stop him from altering the timeline. And then uh, so you got this weird kind of team up between uh, Cable and Bucky and Captain America. I actually quite liked it. It just felt odd, uh, but it wasn't bad. The Hulk and Wolverine story looks gorgeous. Dale Keown, um, when he illustrates the Maestro, Maestro looks freaking amazing. Uh, Hulk looks great. Like this is, 
it's kind of like this is what this is what comics should look like. They should look like these these big big uh, superheroes and just fighting each other, having a big brawl, and it's really entertaining to look at. That being said, the story um, didn't really feel like much of a story. Uh, but that's really because it's only got ten pages, and then it ends, and it's almost like there's something coming up later, or this is going to lead into something, but we don't really know what, where, or how, or what. So it just felt like an odd story because you have uh, Hulk. Okay, first of all, they come. They try to be comedic sometimes. I don't even know why Hulk is even near the Avengers Mansion. Just because he's part of AVX doesn't mean he's really part of the team. Uh, so he's there with Wolverine, and then they're fighting over cake basically. And then in comes Maestro and Days of Future Past Wolverine, which is really cool. And then they're there just to kind of stop the Hulk. And then, um, yeah, it's just kind of an odd. And at the end, it's the idea that, you know, for the world to survive, the Red Hulk must die. What does that mean? Uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, I like, I actually kind of like the story. It just, it just felt odd because it felt like a very short story, which obviously it was because there's two stories in this issue. And then it just kind of ends, and you're like, well, where is this going to end later? Like, it felt, both both were basically time travel stories with, with the characters coming back in the past, and it just felt like an odd issue to start off with, because this is supposed to be like this cool new team-up book, teaming up Avengers and uh, X-Men related characters that maybe you wouldn't usually get together, and it just kind of felt like an odd way to go with it. Uh, next issue, it looks like it's Iron Man and Kitty Pryde, which is kind of cool, but then Spider-Man and Beast... Beast is just as much Avengers as X-Men, so it just kind of feels like an odd team-up. I want to see the weird, quirky ones. The one, the X-related characters you would never expect to see with Avengers-related characters. And so far, we're kind of seeing that because we've seen, like, Wolverine and Hulk have a history, so that's interesting to see them together, but it doesn't play any of that up, and Hulk doesn't even act like Hulk, so it seems kind of odd. And then you have Cable and, and Captain America. Now, if that was said in the current, like, you know, uh, for the present continuity, I think that would be really cool, but having this weird flashback that Cap met Cable when he was in World War II, it just felt problematic. Uh, that being said, I did give the issue an 8 out of 10 because it was still enjoyable and it had good art, but it was just some odd decisions. Uh, next up is Ca- Action Comics Annual Number 1. Uh, didn't really care for this. Uh, yeah, you got the Kryptonite Man. It, it definitely felt like it was playing off of a lot of the ideas, obviously, that uh, uh, Grant Morrison had been laying in this first year on Action Comics. Uh, that being said, I didn't really care much for it and how it was written. Uh, it's by uh, Sholy Fish, who's the writer, and Kelly Hamner on art. Um, it was just kind of a weird issue. You got the introduction of the Kryptonite Man, or the K-Man, whatever you want to call him, for the New 52. You have John Henry Irons and and Superman having some uh, tete-a-tete. You got, like, kind of Luther kind of being, a uh, uh, not being so happy about General Lane trying to cut him out of certain contracts. It was just, it, it was, it didn't do a lot for me. The villain wasn't all, it kind of interesting how they're trying to build up the film, but the artwork wasn't that good. By Hamner, I really hate the design on the steel. He just looks ridiculous. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't really do it for me. And even Superman having like this suit that protects him from the from the kryptonite. Uh, maybe don't announce that you're wearing a suit because someone will rip rip it, so it won't do as well. So it just felt like an odd decision, or a very odd decision. Uh, so yeah, and in terms of it being this big annual, and it didn't really work. I mean, I'm, I haven't really been a fan of action comics generally. Like, it's it's had some interesting stuff happen, but it's also had a lot of not-so-good stuff. And then the uh, the backup, I don't even know what that was supposed to mean or what it was about, or I just don't... It was kind of horrific and, cra- and creepy. It's by Max Landis and Ryan Suck. I like the artwork by Ryan, Ryan, uh, sorry, Ryan Suck, but uh, I guess this is the Atomic Skull. I don't really know what happens here, and I don't really care. Uh, considering the increased price point... 
you want annuals that have somehow matter, um, especially in this current environment where prices are up and, you know, every issue kind of has to, to make a difference. And so far, I mean, a lot of the annuals have been fairly good by, uh, by DC and the new 52, the ones that they've actually published. This just didn't do it. And it, it wasn't even by the regular creative team, which would have helped at least for some consistency of tone. It felt like it really helped make it feel like it didn't matter. It, we're, we're far beyond the days when you used to be able to have these the, these gigantic annual issues, and you were just so excited because you got all this new all this stuff, and maybe you'd have a couple stories in there. But now you get one long story, but it's not going to matter in the continuity. And now that we're in a, in, again uh, in the last thirty years, you know, we're used to continuity mattering. Uh, like DC, ever since the '80s, like kind of really matters. So it just seems like an odd decision to have these annuals that don't make as much a difference. Like they're still making annuals like that. I mean, Marvel made the mistake this year when they had the. Uh, I guess I, I don't know if this is conjecture or not, but that they needed to keep the, the uh, rights to publish the clandestine comics. So they had Alan Davis do three of the annuals that tied into clandestine, but they had nothing to do with the books they were actually annuals of. I think there was annuals of Daredevil, Fantastic Four, and Wolverine. Uh, and I actually, um, on a show that hasn't yet been, uh, been uploaded, uh, or posted, uh, we have an upcoming episode, which we'll be looking, I believe it's episode number, uh, 26, we'll be looking at top five Wolverine storylines, and as a guest of mine, Paul Scores, he mentions that, you know, he just kind of, he's like, I gotta get this out there, one of the least favorite Wolverine stories I've ever read is this annual by Alan Davis, because it had nothing to do with the character, or anything about Wolverine, it was really just a clandestine story with Wolverine shoehorned in, in his own title, um, so both companies are at fault for having the, sometimes doing these really terrible annual issues. But then they both can also do quite good annuals, so they're very schizophrenic in the way they handle them. Uh, next up is Aquaman number 13. Uh, Aquaman number 12 was really, really good, and it had a great ending. But then you realized, oh, the arc's not over. Next month is zero issue. We've got to wait a long time for 13. So it's kind of I was really let down by that. That being said, I, I did enjoy this issue. It didn't uh, really live up to what I felt like was my own personal hype after the end of the last issue. Like, that, the end of number 12 was fantastic. It just felt like it had so much going for it in terms of pacing and, and this dramatic heft and all this stuff was coming together. And then, boom, you re-ruin your momentum. So I was a little upset about that. Uh, that being said, it was nice to kind of jump back in and uh, follow up with the story. That being said, again, it wasn't quite as strong, but it was still enjoyable. Uh, Jeff Johns obviously on, uh, is the writer of this. And Ivan Reyes is uh, is the pencils who he'll be moving to Justice League soon. Uh, you know, this is just a really engaging, enjoyable book. It's got an interesting kind of perspective on who Aquaman is and him embracing what he is and uh, you know taking the fight to Black Manta. Really cool stuff. I'm interested to see what's going to happen moving forward with the character, um, especially with the upcoming with Throne of Atlantis uh, crossover with Justice League, which has a lot of potential. Uh, this was still a very solid issue. Aquaman, for me, has been one of those books that came out of the New 52, uh, you know, guns blazing. It's it's really been a really strong, enjoyable book because Jeff Johns isn't afraid to uh, both acknowledge the shortcomings of a character like Aquaman and his perception in popular culture and how people kind of make fun of him. And he's at times thought to be a bit of a joke character, a hard character to write, a hard character to make popular, a hard character to really sustain sales of. So he manages this kind of... He he's knowing all this stuff, and so a lot of how he writes Aquaman is kind of a knowing wink to the audience that, like, I know what you think, I can actually make this guy really cool. And he's done a really good job, and having Ivan Reyes in our work, it really helps. Uh, I'm not, I can't remember who they've announced to take over as our, the artist on the next Aquaman issue, so I apologize, I don't know that, but... Um, 
not the next issue, but when Ivan Reyes leaves. Uh, but I'm interested to see how the book kind of weathers that. If Jeff Johns ever leaves the book, though, I feel like it will get canceled, and because Jeff Johns is a big reason for why it's successful. Maybe not just his name, but he does have legitimate skill. Again, if you read Justice League, it's not as evident because I don't think this book is nearly as strong. But he does have a lot of skill, and he can rejuvenate characters and make you really care about them when he's able to do that. When, like, he's able to do more intimate stuff when given the time and the ability to do so. So I, I, I do enjoy Aquaman generally. I give that seven and a half out of ten. Uh, next up is Amazing, uh, sorry, Avenging Spider-Man Annual number one. Um, I'm gonna get a, this, the rating out of the way. I gave this a six out of ten. Didn't care for this. Uh, it's team up ostensibly between uh, Spider-Man and the Thing. Um, it's this this issue is written by Rob Williams, pencils by Brad Walker. Uh, so they work together in both in two teams. I really didn't like this. It didn't do a lot for me. Um, suddenly, um, I'm trying to remember. I, I read this and I. Just didn't really care for what was going on. Basically, uh, the, the emotions of everyone kind of around this certain area, that everyone starts kind of fighting. And you know what? I read this issue when it came out on opening day. I opening day on Wednesday. I apologize that now I can't really remember what happens, and that doesn't say a lot for the issue. I found that it was just really painful to read. I didn't really care for you know Spider-Man and Thing having their little fight, and uh, just nothing here really made me feel like I really wanted to keep reading like the it was just not enjoyable um it didn't do a lot didn't do a lot for me at all like Avenging Spider-Man is kind of an odd book it started out kind of strong because you had some cool Joe Mad art and the storylines were a little bit more interesting but then there's just been a lot of crap uh they've had a then they had like an ends of the earth issue which was actually an okay epilogue with the Silver Sable story you had a crossover issue with Daredevil and Punisher which is actually pretty good but a lot of it's kind of been hit or, really hit or miss and more misses than hits uh the last two issues were with the Hypno Hustler and Deadpool which really felt played out and I just like Deadpool used to be like, he used to be funny, but not silly. And then a lot of writers don't know how to strike the balance, and they just make him seem silly, and this is what happened in the last two issues of Avenging Spider-Man. I didn't care for this. Six out of ten, uh, I was happy when it was over. Um, yeah, it was just painful. Next up is AVX Consequences number four. This series gets better as it goes along, which is saying something, because I really didn't like it when it started. Art by uh, Mark Brooks. with uh, It's written by Kieran Gillen. Uh, this issue, finally, we got... A little bit more on where is where is Namor? Uh, so he's we don't get a lot of information on Namor, but we do get to see him. We get to see Agent Brand. Uh, she's actually having uh, communications with Magneto, which I thought was really interesting way of kind of playing up uh, the fact that uh, Agent Brand is a you know an alien human hybrid. She's a mutant. Um, she there was a reason why she used to call the Extinction Team, uh, and I really like that they kind of play that up here and that she. She's contacting Magneto. Now, I still don't understand really why Magneto's on the run. He didn't actually do anything wrong during AVX. Um, but I do like kind of his perspective here and the idea that, you know, that about being villains or heroes. Um, I really like that Storm was to see Colossus here and seeing what Colossus is like now and how he's kind of retreated into himself, which felt extremely authentic that that is Peter Rasputin. That is exactly what he would do. Uh, he's so torn by everything that's happened that he just, he, he's, he's, as Storm says, he's another victim. I mean, he's, he, he's no good to anybody, uh, let alone himself. Uh, he's kind of, he's broken. Uh, so really cool. You got some cool, uh, Wolverine, sorry, 
uh, low, uh, Scott Summer stuff here and him having an interesting uh, discussion with uh, Iron Man. I really like the the guy that he kind of got uh, started talking to this fellow mutant. Uh, I like seeing that Scott Summers can still control himself. It's really uh, take on other people even though he's he's human. Um, extremely good. Uh, and then kind of seeing Scott Summers and Logan actually have more of a conversation. Uh, felt very overdue. I'm glad that it happened. I'm really impressed with this book because it started off, in my my uh, in my own my own perspective on it, it started off really poorly, and yet every issue it's gotten uh, a lot better. And now I just I'm really excited to kind of see what the last issue's like. I kind of wish we could see a little bit more of this kind of stuff uh, to kind of because it's it's really interesting. It's just interesting to see where these characters are. It, it was only after reading like this issue and I guess the last one, I really started to realize like as much as AVX was relatively entertaining and enjoyable, there was so much that happened that I want to know what happens as a result of. Now there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been resolved. Uh, what happened to all the good stuff that the Phoenix five did? I mean, obviously it looks like some of the stuff failed, but they put a lot of uh, processes in motion that wouldn't just fail because the Phoenix force was gone. They, um, they could have Zax and his crew providing free energy. Like there are a lot of open-ended, uh, uh, like plot, plot holes and plot lines that are just kind of dangling, which is unfortunate because there was a lot of really good stuff that came out of that, and I would have liked to see more discussion on those on those factors. Uh, so I give AVX consequences number four and eight out of ten. Brings us up to Batgirl Annual number one. Uh, the only reason it got a, a seven and not like an eight or a nine is because the artwork is pretty. It's really entertaining, and then it shifts about midway through, and it feels really awkward. Now, the artwork in general isn't maybe the greatest detail work. Um, it's a little matte, the way that the colors are done. Um, let's see. The art's by Admira Wijaya, or Wijaya. I apologize for the you know butchering of that name. Pencils from pages 26 to 38. Uh, by Daniel Sempier or Sempier, who I did not think was nearly as good um, as the rest. Uh, entertaining issue though, I really like Batgirl Catwoman issues. Uh, I like that they're address again. This is Gail Simone writing, so it's the main writer of the, of the main book is writing these characters. Um, and we have the the owl that uh, sorry not the owl the talon that Batgirl fought previously during the Night of Owls uh, storyline is back. Uh, just really interesting stuff to kind of see. What's going on in the? This felt like a nice Court of Owls or Night of Owls uh, aftermath kind of issue. We're seeing there are still a bunch of talents that are functional. Um, Batgirl is not a big fan of having to fight against a talent after what happened the first time. Uh, Catwoman has been assigned to break a talent out. Actually, just a really good. It's kind of it felt like a team up issue in a lot of ways. Um, so I really enjoyed the way it was written. Uh, the artwork, uh, it, w it wasn't terrible. I just found, again, it felt washed out at times, whereas the main book uh, it, it often has a very vibrant color set. It's just, it pops off the page. There's just so many lush colors in it. And here, it was kind of the opposite. It was it was very washed out. The colors weren't nearly as vibrant as they should be. The artwork on the first, you know, uh, the first half, I guess, or first third, is pretty strong. And then, But then you get to this weird shift, and suddenly the artwork's different. And then it just kind of loses some of that cohesion. And it's unfortunate because you had a higher level of detail in the first beginning half. And then suddenly it, that changes. And it that's not a good thing. And at times it almost felt like it was a Brightweiser book because of some of the details and some of the characters. And sometimes like the facial details are really uh, extensive. And then they just kind of go away. So it's kind of an odd book artistically. But I really, yeah, I'm just looking at it right now. When you get to that page... 
and if you're reading the issue, you'll you'll know uh, where suddenly, um, I guess Batgirl's kind of creeping outside, and she realizes that Catwoman isn't a fan of what's about to happen. Uh, then suddenly the art changes, and it just isn't the same, and the colors don't look... Uh, it, it's just, it's very different. It's not even bad art, per se. It's just, it's such a jarring switch that I... In terms of actually having to uh, rank, rate the issue, I had to kind of detract it because there should be a greater, uh, sorry, um, greater eye towards maintaining a, a consistent visual tone, and it just didn't quite happen here. Uh, but I and I liked the fact that like Catwoman kind of becoming friends with this this owl, this Talon, uh, and and this who can't speak, so they have like a pinky uh, thing going on, like a pinky square. It's actually quite moving. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. This felt an annual that it did kind of tell its own thing that didn't interrupt the main flow of the regular story in Batgirl. However, at the same time, you do it, it comes off of something that happened in the main book a couple of issues ago. It's by the main uh, main writer. It felt like it mattered and it had characters and that that made more of a difference in, in making it feel like it was an essential read as opposed to a totally extra uh, totally extraneous read that didn't need to happen or didn't need to even be read. Um, one weird artistic thing, though, is that they really made Gordon look pretty young. Uh, like he, like he, he still looked like Gordon, but he looked like he was maybe ten, fifteen years younger than he should be. A uh, bit of a sexy Gordon, which is kind of weird because you know I want Barbara Gordon to be sexy, not Commissioner Gordon, because he, he's supposed to be a little bit older, a little bit more grizzled, and he didn't quite look that here, and it was an odd choice. Uh, so I gave it a seven out of ten again, mainly because of the uh, the artistic jarring nature of it. Uh, next up is Captain Marvel number six. I have to admit I haven't really read issues four or five previous to this, but I actually found this was still quite a good read. I could jump in quite easily. One thing I do find myself distracted and bothered by is that I love the covers by uh, the Dodsons. Uh, they're very lush and vibrant, and then you get into the main book, and it just does not look that way. Uh, now the artwork by Rios isn't bad, and in fact I think the colors in this issue are much better than they have been in recent issues. But uh, it's, it, it is jarring at times because it's just such a different look. Like, the costume looks so different. First of all, there's the mask, which is never in most of these covers. Um, but it just looks... The, the costume looks so different uh, in the interiors. Part of it's because the colors are nowhere near as uh, eye-popping. Uh, part of it's because the artwork just isn't as strong. So it just it, it kind of makes the, the, the costume looks really good depending on who's illustrating it. And it doesn't always look as strong. Uh, I do like this issue, though, is it's kind of a, a flashback. Not really a flashback, because uh, Carol Danvers and her like, mentor are basically in time, and they're watching what happens to uh, to Carol when she gets the powers. It's a very interesting story. Kind of, I don't know how much of it makes sense in terms of time paradoxes, etc., but I liked it, and I enjoyed it. Um, so I gave that a, a 7 out of 10. Next up is uh, Mighty Thor number 22. This is an odd book. Obviously, it's the last issue... Uh, Fractions Run, it's the uh, Everything Burns Aftermath issue, we got uh, Breakdowns by uh, Kitson and Finishes by Leaston, uh, and you got uh, Colors by uh, Quintana. Um, it actually was a re- like it was an obviously a book that was based on Kitson's pencils, but I almost wish that he hadn't just done Breakdowns but done a little bit more extensive, but still, this this book really looked nice. It was just kind of an odd issue because after the like the action-packed arc that came before it, we have this awkward uh, trial issue, and it just kind of felt like a. It definitely felt like a last issue because they're kind of, um, uh, you know, wrapping up certain plot lines and certain elements of the the stories of the last few years, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, I just felt like 
uh, these last issues don't mean anything because like some of these runs have been going on a long time. This one's, I guess, it's about two, you know, a year and a half uh, or so, but or almost two years. But I never felt as as connected to uh, Thor's Thor by Fraction either before the revamp into Mighty Thor or after. Um, whereas like when we've had other books for like Fantastic Four by Hickman when that ended, I was just like, oh, I'm so upset because I really liked Hickman's work. Uh, same thing when you have Brubaker and Captain America. That's such a long run when he was wrapping it up. So those are very substantial runs on books, and this one feels a lot shorter and not nearly as memorable in a lot of ways. Because I, it kind of, I kind of dropped Mighty Thor for a while because of the Tannerist stuff, and I only was really picking it up and even reading it because of the Everything Burns storyline. Because and even then, I was like, I don't know what's been happening since I've been kind of out of the loop, and I don't know if I really care to read that stuff. So. It just kind of felt like an odd, odd issue. I gave it a seven and a half out of ten because it wasn't necessarily bad. It just, and it was and some of it was quite good in the artwork by Kitson. Although just breakdowns, you could tell it was it was still some very good work from him. Um, I, it's just just an odd spot, just an odd issue. Uh, next up is New Mutants number fifty. Now this is a strange, strange book. Now I stopped reading this on a regular like twenty issues ago. I read uh, a couple issues ago. I was it's part of the that weird storyline with the different timelines, and I kind of liked it, but I could not get through any additional issues because the artwork was atrocious. Um, so the main stumbling block for me with this book has just been the artwork. It's been it's been nowhere near what I would call my taste. Uh, like this issue, it's it's not even bad written. In fact, there's some nice callbacks to some of the stuff that was happening uh, out in the cosmic universe with the Phalanx, etc. When uh, Avenue and Landing were were doing. Uh, that stuff. We're we're doing the cosmic books, uh, but you got the artwork by Felix Ruiz and the and Klebs. Uh, Klebs does I guess eleven or twelve pages in the middle, and then Ruiz does the first six pages, and then the last six or seven pages. Uh, I didn't care for this because it was just an odd. It was just a weird barbecue, and I guess it's in out on the west coast. I'm not really sure why this big party was happening. Um, these weird, like. You have, like, I don't know, I don't even know how to put it, but it just felt really awkward. All these odd, like, Mephisto shows up with, like, because he's trying to woo Amara, and then he disappears, and uh, you have, like, the Warriors 3, and some of the Asgardians, and Sif are at this party, and so it's, like, Wolverine, and, uh, I don't know, a bunch of X characters. It just felt really uncomfortably odd. Uh, you got Doctor Strange is there. I just didn't care for this. Like, first of all, the artwork is not good. It's Sienkiewiczian, if that's even a word. It very, it reminds me of uh, Bill Sienkiewicz uh, quite a lot. And I don't know. I just felt like, who cares? I, and which is not a good reason to not like an issue. But the issue just didn't engage me. It, it just, and again, having this big barbecue, it just felt inappropriate. I don't know how to put it. I just felt like it didn't need to happen. If I had never read this issue, I never would have felt like I missed anything. It wasn't even a good wrapping for this iteration of the team. Uh, I am interested to see what happens with Sunspot and Cannibal now that they're joining the Avengers under Hickman, but uh, this just didn't do it for me. I gave this a 5 out of 10. Next up is Swamp Thing Annual number 1. Um, I read the first bit of Swamp Thing. I read the last couple, last issue or two. I read the zero, uh, issue 12 and 0 uh, and 13. Or maybe I didn't even read 12, maybe it was just 0 and 13. Um, but I really liked this annual. I gave this an 8 out of 10. I thought it was a really, really well-written and actually interestingly interest, uh, illustrated. Not the artwork I may would have expected from the book like this, but it actually looked really good. Like, I could tell it was it was Becky Cloonan. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, of Demo, so it was very obvious in the in the the way that she made the faces of the different characters look. 
uh, that it was her artwork, but it really worked well, and I'm glad to see her on a, like a, a DC book. Uh, again, this is another case of an annual that actually was really good, and it added a lot of backstory. Uh, you got Scott Snyder and Scott Tuff wrote it. Back, uh, as I said, Becca Clunan did the art with the framing sequence by Andrew Belanger and Carl Kershaw. Um, so this was basically a story of how uh, Al Collin first met, um, now I forget her name, Arcane, the girl, Abby, I think it was. I apologize if I got that wrong, because I complete Abigail, sorry, Abigail Arcane, where he met uh, this girl and kind of fell for her. I really liked this. It was actually really good. Uh, an interesting story of how, even back then, before Al Collin really became the Swamp Thing, how he was his life was still being saved by the Green in little ways, and how he, he was inadvertently helping the Green without knowing it, and also saving his own life in the meantime. Really liked this. Really enjoyable. Um... Yeah, I mean, this is an odd book because I wouldn't peg myself as being an Animal Man or a Swamp Thing fan, and yet this annual was really well written. Uh, it had fantastic artwork, and this is how you do an annual right. It felt like it mattered. It felt like it was giving you something that, I mean, maybe you'll be able to read the main story and you won't feel like you really missed something, uh, but at the same time, it adds d depth and dimension to the ongoing storyline. Uh, really engaging, really enjoyable. I really liked it. It was fantastic. Um, next up is Ultimate Spider-Man number 16.1. An odd issue because it really doesn't, it feels like an issue that, I mean, maybe some of the stuff will come up later, but for right now it's not really impacting uh, Miles Morales' life and his own web-swinging, you know, a career as Spider-Man. That being said, it was a really fun issue. It was focusing on Betty Brant as she's trying to figure out uh, who this new Spider-Man is, and she's following different leads, and I actually thought this was extremely well done. Bendis um, really, again, I don't understand these zero, these point one issues sometimes, because this was a great, not a great jumping on point, but this definitely felt like a very new reader-friendly issue, where you're kind of getting an interesting perspective on, on Betty Brant, this world, and how certain characters view Spider-Man, and um, you know what the how dangerous the world could be. Uh, David Marquez on artwork is absolutely fantastic. I can't picture a better artist to uh, pick up after uh, Sarah Pacelli. Just a great job, just nailing certain facets of this of this series. Um, yeah, just really really enjoyable. Betty Branch trying to figure out who this new Spider-Man is. She find she ends up finding uh, the spider that uh, the. Uh, see, I haven't even read all of this book, this series, but she definitely finds a spider that she thinks could be the reason why uh, the new Spider-Man got his powers. She's investigating this amateur video that shows that maybe there was a link between the Prowler and uh, and Spider-Man, and she erroneously ends up thinking that uh, the Prowler's brother and Miles Morales' dad is actually the one who is uh, Spider-Man. Uh, really interesting. I also liked seeing how she kind of fought with um, Jameson, uh, oh, you know, I'm just kind of flipping through, and that's I'm like, okay, that's why it was kind of a point one issue because at the end it looks like like Venom's back. Now again, I haven't, I didn't follow a lot of the post uh, Ultimatum Peter Parker era of Spider-Man, oh, sorry, Ultimate Spider-Man, but then I read the death of the character, and then I've been reading most of Miles Morales' stuff, so I'm not really sure what the status quo is with Venom at this point in time. But it's interesting. It's kind of sad though because I was really interested to see what would happen with Betty Brant because of what she thinks that she knows. Um, and then that kind of gets taken away from you. So we have this whole build-up of this character who's really kind of out for Spider-Man, and then she dies, or at least looks like she's going to be dead. Uh, so that part was a bit of a bummer. But other than that, really good, really enjoyable, strong artwork. This is a, a must-read, um, just because it's really fun to read. And I can't wait to see more of Miles Morales as Spider-Man, because 
Bendis has just made the character very relatable, and Marquez or Pacelli, uh they've both done such a brilliant job in artwork, and it's just so good to look at. It's just beautiful. Uh, next up on the list is Winter Soldier number 12. Absolutely fantastic. This is how you use Wolverine correctly and use him as a... As a I can't think of the word, a cameo character or, or a guest star. Because here, it really feels like they need Wolverine. Like, he's get, he gets called in because of his tracking skills and his durability because they're basically uh, Winter Soldier... Bucky Barnes has gone off the is going off the grid. He's been pro, he's made, made sure that he's been programmed with the the assassination mission, um, so that he can and he wants them to he trusts those those around him to be able to stop him, uh, so they can achieve and, and end up getting Natasha back. The issue is fantastic. I really like seeing uh, how awesome and brutal Winter Soldier can be, and the idea that he's been you know kind of holding back this entire time because. He's been, you know, he's, he's he's Bucky again. He's not the Winter Soldier. Uh, really, really gripping. This was a fast-paced espionage issue. I, this is how you will, as I said, this is how you use Wolverine correctly because Wolverine is a real threat, but he's also one of the only people who could really uh, keep up with Bucky Burns. And I just really liked how there is a lot of um, reverence given to the fact that Bucky Burns isn't just this guy who used to be a psychic. He is so much more, and... It's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, extremely enjoyable. And at the end, having uh, Winter Soldier go after Daredevil, and then just that last page. This is a fantastic arc. I'm really sad to see Brubaker go, because he just writes it so well. And Butch Geisen artwork is just such a great, gritty, uh, street-level espionage uh, flavor for the book. Just absolutely entertaining. I really enjoy this book. If you haven't read it, uh, you know this will be in the third trade, so just wait for that if you need to. But this is definitely worth reading. Um, immensely entertaining. I'm really sad that Brubaker's leaving. Even sadder than than when he's leaving Captain America. I think because his Winter Soldier's been pretty solid all the way through, whereas the last year and a bit of Captain America hasn't all been great, although the issues with uh, the new Scourge, uh, Demon and Scourge, was absolutely fantastic. But you also had you know the issues with Bravo and all that kind of stuff I didn't care for as much. So I wasn't as sad to see him go from Cap in that respect, but I'm really sad to see him uh, leaving Winter Soldier because he's made this character so enjoyable, and he he, you know, he is the reason why people care about about the fact that the next uh, Captain America movie is Winter Soldier. Like, it's all thanks to Brubaker. Uh, he was the only, I guess, he, really, he's the only person who, I think, who could really bring back Bucky. And he made it work, and he made people not care that he's back. Like, no one's like, oh, he should have stayed dead. Everyone's like, no, he's awesome. So that really is a testament to his skill as a writer. Next up is, uh, so I give that a 9 out of 10, sorry. Next one up is Wolverine and the X-Men number 19. Um, eh, this issue, that's basically my opinion on it, eh. Last issue was really strong. Obviously, I was very upset by the ending where it looked like they killed Brew. And here, obviously, they're trying to save Brew. Um, it just felt like Jason Aaron's done a bunch of these issues. Like, these weird... There's not a real focus, but there's a kind of focus. And there's a lot of pages that are just kind of played up for comedic effect because you have this interview for up, you know new people to work at the as instructors at the school. It just felt like a, an easy way to pad pages out, but it didn't feel necessary. Uh, and in some cases you're just kind of making fun of certain characters. I did like the fact that Toad and Husk kind of had this moment before she leaves and Toad kind of being resigned to his job and being, you know, just sad at being a janitor. And that, that was really interesting. And you have Matt Murdock make a cameo because, uh, Angel 
with the weirdest looking wings I've ever seen, so I don't understand what's going on with the art here. Um, retain, get, regains control of his company, but then looks like he's going to ruin it with the people from the school taking over. Reintroduce some new cast members, but then a lot of the issues just spend on crap. Uh, we're just just interviews that don't matter, like interviewing Deadpool and this, and then this weird page of Storm being interviewed by Kitty Pride, and it just felt awkward, not because you know, it's Storm, but because it just, it, the artwork's really off. Um, so I didn't really care for this, because it just, it felt like we've had some really strong issues, and this wasn't it. I gave it a 7 out of 10, because it still was interesting, but the whole, like, if you look at the cover, on the left-hand side is basically how I felt. Look at Kitty Pride's face, she's got her hand up to her face, and she's just like, ugh, because she's looking at all these people she's interviewing, and they're just not right for this position. That's how I felt about reading the book half the time. Ugh, this issue's still happening. On the right, you have some more interesting stuff with um, Rachel and, and Wolverine, but still not that great. And at the bottom is the most interesting stuff with uh, Beast trying to say, Brew, I would rather we have focused on that because the rest of it was just not all that good at all. Uh, Nick Bradshaw uh, was doing the artwork. I generally like his stuff. This was not his best. Next up is, and our last issue, is X-Men Legacy number 275, the last issue of this title. I will be sad to see it go just because of the, well, I guess this is a pun, but because of the legacy of the title. Um, and Rogue, I haven't really cared for a lot about the character in a while, but, uh, Gage has definitely enjoyed telling stories about her. Uh, the artwork is by Baldion, uh, yeah, David Baldion. I actually really like this issue. It was basically, there's, um, you know, there's an emergency and they need some, uh, super-powered assistance to kind of stop this breakout. Uh, and so the only two people who are available are Mimic and Rogue. Uh, Mimic's dealing with this idea of, of self and, you know, he's going to be leaving the X books or I guess like he's, he's been with them at the mansion, I guess. I'm not even sure what he was even doing. I didn't even know if he was around, but he's going to leave and he's going to kind of do something else on his own, but he, he doesn't really know who he is and, and he kind of tries to confide in Rogue because Rogue has similar types of powers and, and that she can kind of borrow and take others. But what does that mean for her own self? Actually a really good kind of look at who Rogue is and how she's grown and, what all that means. I don't know if I was really expecting to enjoy this issue because I've been kind of hot and cold on Gage's version of uh, X-Men Legacy. Not really because of him, but, but just because of the book's focus in general, and that's more of editorial's issue. Um, but no, this was actually pretty solid. Um, it was actually pretty enjoyable, and uh, I'm actually kind of sad to see the book go. Just because, not so much because I've been enjoying it lately, but because there is obviously a long legacy with the book. I mean... Uh, again, another pun, but I mean, this is issue 275, and it's really sad to see these high numbers going away. Obviously, we had Uncanny X-Men go away last year. Uh, now we've got, what, like Captain America's gone, or sorry, Captain America and Bucky, or whatever Captain America is. Captain America and is ending. That's already sad enough. I'm sure at some point, Journey to Mystery will go away, uh, and that renumbering will happen. I mean, it's just too bad. I really like large numbers, and they just don't like that at all. Amazing Spider-Man is hitting 700, which is a huge achievement. What's happening? Going back to one. Uh, you got uh, Fantastic Four. It it stopped, became Future Foundation, or FF, with the number one, and then it went back to being FF at 600, uh, Fantastic Four at 600, and now it's going to be relaunching again. I just, I'm really, and then obviously with DC, you lost all these really large numbers because of the new 52. I just don't like these big numbers going away, so it's kind of sad that we're that's doing that. So I, And I miss these books when they end, because there's there's something to be said for having a long 
history has a title and there's just something to that and i'm not even talking about collectors i mean obviously the collectors you like having you know issue one to 275 is really cool but it's just i don't know it just makes me sad about the state of the industry when we have these constant relaunches and revamps and renumberings and i just miss these large numbers it's because it used to be mean something it, for me as a kid it wasn't oh man it's amazing spider-man 394 uh, oh my god, like, I have to read 393 issues. It's more like, man, there's such a long and buried history here. It's, um, it's kind of like, I mean, I, when I was recently, I was working somewhere and they only had one channel, uh, where we were watching for TV shows, uh, at, uh, at lunch. And so the only show they ended up having on was Bold and Beautiful, which is a really atrocious soap opera, obviously. Um, and so, but I, and so I was like, oh man, this is, this isn't going to be good. I'm going to be here for six or seven weeks and I don't like this. And one guy's like, you know what, when you start watching it, you'll start loving it. And I was like, I don't think that's going to happen to me. And then I started getting hooked on it because I was part of this community that was watching this show. And I realized that although I was, obviously it's been around for 25 years, like five, 6,000 episodes, uh, I started getting interested in not just on the current storylines, but this idea of this legacy of this show. And I realized that's because at its core, comic books in especially the comic books I've been reading, like uh, X-Men and uh, Spider-Man, etc., are long-time soap, long-term soap operas. That's all the way they are. I mean, you have a lot of things that go on. You have fights and action and stuff that, that makes it a little bit more exciting. But at its core, it's part of this set continuity, and everything's kind of happened. And the, a lot of things, crazy things have happened along the way, but generally you are dealing with a soap opera and this, this, long, this legacy, this, uh, you know, there's so much depth and history to this world. And I guess that's something that you lose kind of with that with that numbering. I guess it's kind of silly, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. So that's the last issue we're going to review this week. Uh, there's three issues that I didn't really get a chance to get to. Two from, uh, sorry, one from Marvel, one from DC, one from Image. Uh, obviously, there are other books that are released, but unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to read any of those. And I generally do only read from the big two, so I apologize if you're looking for more something indie-ish. Uh, I do sometimes look at some image books, but not with a lot of regularity, so I do apologize in advance for that. Um, so happy number two, I didn't get a chance to read it. Issue number one, I liked it, but then it felt like it was about to go in, in that weird Morrison area, uh, that, that area that Morrison likes to frolic in, so I wasn't so sure about that. Uh, Justice League Dark Annual number one, didn't get a chance to read that, so I won't know if uh, he had another DC annual, either Soars or Vlops, because uh, obviously for the week, the Swamp Thing annual was good. And then you had the um, the uh, Action Comics annual, which was bad. And then you also had the Batgirl annual, which was good. So it would be interesting to see it. Maybe that was the second bad one of the week. And then you also had Ultimate X-Men number 18. I haven't really been following that. Um, I, really, uh, the only Ultimate book I read right now and enjoy is uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, obviously. And the others I just kind of let go. So those are the three I didn't get a chance to get to, but everything else we did. Uh, so I thank you for joining us for... Episode 23, obviously this was the issues released October 31st, um, so make sure to join us next week for episode number 25, where we'll be looking at the issues released on November the 7th, uh, issue 24, the next episode will be a spotlight on women in comics, we recorded it a couple of weeks ago uh, with my guests, uh, Nathan Strzok and his wife, Amber Strzok. And we actually a pretty interesting discussion. In the first half of the episode, we focus on Ember's top five favorite X-Men storylines because she unfortunately wasn't able to join us when we actually had our full discussion back in episode number six, which you can download on iTunes in our archive. Um, and then we spotlight on you know favorite female creators, characters, and stories starring female protagonists, so it should be an interesting show. Uh, and then moving onwards, episode number 26, which will be coming out 
uh, probably around November 14th. Uh, we'll be focusing on our top five favorite Wolverine storylines. And again, it'll be Amber, Nate, and uh, our other semi-regular guest, uh, Paul Scorez, as we kind of count down our favorites. Uh, so thanks again for joining us. Uh, make sure you look for those upcoming episodes. If you have any uh, feedback or any emails you'd like to send to us, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, or you can also like us on Facebook, because we now have a Facebook page as well. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Adam Chapman, and have a great shenanigan. <laughs>